Uh, I'm going to get down here on your level once again. Maybe you can understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Jonah. We're looking at the minor prophets. And we're going to look at Jonah. And we're going back to uh, verses nine or 4 through 9 once again. Uh, I didn't get enough squeezed out of it the first time, so I'm going to run at it again. And uh, speaking of running, the title of our message is The Consequences of Running from God. If you run from God, be sure that there will be consequences for that. Now, in our study of the book of Jonah, and today I want us to look again at verses 4 through 9. I, I know that... Uh, it's not that you weren't listening last time, although in some case uh, you couldn't listen because you weren't here. But anyway, I believe there are more lessons that can be learned from this portion. And I believe at this time in the life of our church, we need to place a greater emphasis on us having a spiritual impact on those the Lord places around us. Who's the Lord placed around you? Uh, we're talking about being faithfully living for Jesus Christ in front of those people that we may not even know. Uh, we're talking about looking for opportunities for sharing how a person can know for sure they're on their way to heaven. Uh, we're talking about uh, stimulating those who already are believers uh, to love God and others more and do the work that we're all called to do. You see, having a positive spiritual impact on those around the Lord has placed around us, we want to grow in that area before, uh, and therefore this book of Jonah, I think, is a great one to study in this way. So again, the uh, um, story starts like this, of course. God comes to one of his prophets of Israel by the name of Jonah, and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. And if you read the whole book, you'll find that word arise four times. And God tells Jonah to arise. Get up, get going, go to the city of Nineveh, and it sounds very reasonable until you realize that Nineveh was one of the principal cities of Assyria, and the Assyrians were enemies of the Jews. They hated the Jews. They were known for being ruthless and wicked and cruel. And it, doesn't, it wasn't simply a matter of Jonah being afraid to go. Jonah is making it very clear later in the book that his greatest fear was these unbelievers of Nineveh he was afraid they would repent. He said, they don't deserve to repent. They don't deserve this message. And he was afraid they would hear the message because the message would come from God, and in God is a compassionate God, and God would turn around and forgive them. Can you imagine that? God forgiving them because they were so wicked. Uh, Jonah just couldn't see it that way. But you see, God did love these people. He loves all lost people. And Jonah hates them. God wanted them to repent, but Jonah wants the, uh, to uh, see them go ahead in their sin. God wants to see them saved, but Jonah wants them judged. So God said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah went the other way. He went down to Joppa, found a ship 
going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and he was running from God. Now, we're saying all of this kind of raises some questions for you and me today. I wonder, what is God telling us to do today that we may not want to do or feel like doing? And of course, we're not talking about God audibly speaking. He's not a voice from heaven saying this to you. But he may be talking to you through his word. And what is it that he's saying to us in his word that we don't want to do or we don't feel like doing? Because that's where God speaks to us from. He speaks to us today through his word. He tells us what he wants us to be like in his word. He tells us how to live in his word. And some of what he tells us goes against the grain, just like his command to Jonah went against the grain for him. So the question is, are we doing it? When you think about what God wants you to be, when you think about what God wants you to do, when you think about what God wants you to change, when you think about what He wants you to work on, what you want, He wants you to accomplish, uh, how He wants to use you, what He wants you to give. When you think about all of those things, the question before us is, are we seeking to do what He wants us to do, or are we running from Him? Are we seeking to do what He wants us to do, to be what He wants us to be, or are we trying to hide from Him? Are we headed to Nineveh like He was commanded us to do, or are we headed to Tarshish? Listen, is there any sense in which we are seeking to run from His commands and His desires? We have to examine our hearts. Are we running from God? Now, by asking that question, I'm not proposing that uh, we think the average person here is necessarily running from God or their Christian responsibility. You know, whenever we study a character in the Bible whose life is primarily negative, we have to guard against the attitude, well, here's that old wicked Jonah, and this is what he did, and I know people who are just like him. No, I don't want you to have that attitude. I want you to say, Lord, let me look into the mirror. Let me see, is there anything that I'm doing or not doing because you've told me to do that? That's the perspective from which I'm talking about this afternoon. And yet, it certainly would be wise for all of us to study with a question something like this. Here's what wicked Jonah did. Are there any ways that I could possibly be like Jonah? And when we think about the matter of running from God, it's also important for us to point out that there's certainly another option. The way Jonah chose to live his life is certainly not the way, only way you and I can choose to lose our, lose our, live our lives. Uh, we need to think about that. What is the opposite of running from God? What is the opposite of hiding from God? And we could answer that in different ways. Let me just suggest, before we get really to the first point here, but uh, six answers to that question. Hold your place there and turn with me to Joshua 23.
Now, I'm not going to look at all the passages that I'm going to mention to you, but there are six ways not to run from God. And the first way is not found in Joshua 23. While you're looking there for it, the first way is walk with God. That's the opposite of running from God. It's walking with God. The Bible says that in Genesis that Enoch walked with God. And that's a beautiful description of a person who sought to know God and his will. Be a friend of God. Here's another example in the Old Testament. Abraham. You remember how the scriptures described him? And the Bible says he was a friend of God. It reminds us of what the Lord said to his disciples in John 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Think about this man Jonah. How he tried to run from God when he didn't like what God was asking him to do. And then think about Enoch. Think about Abraham. Enoch walked with God. Abraham was a friend of God. Now, the third one is cleave to God. Here we come to the verse I told you to turn to in Joshua 23 and verse 8. Joshua 23, 8 says, But cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. You are to cleave to the Lord your God. You are to cling to the Lord your God. You are to hang on to God. Whenever we hear the word cleave, I think uh, most of us would think about marriage, wouldn't we? You know, it was uh, the leave and cleave principle that's given to us in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And the same Hebrew word was used here in Joshua 23.8, cleaving to the Lord, is the same uh, word as that in Genesis 2.24 of cleaving to your wife. So Enoch walked with God. Abraham was a friend of God. Joshua said to cleave to God. And you see the same emphasis in the New Testament. Turn back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Here's a beautiful picture of the kind of personal relationship with God a person can have if their sin has been cleansed by the blood of God. Hebrews 10.22 Hebrews 10 verse 22 says, Let us draw near. Draw near to God. Let us draw near with a True heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. Draw near to God. There's another wonderful idea concerning what. 
to do the opposite of, of uh, running from God, and that's found in 1 John 1 and verse 3. 1 John 1, 3, Have fellowship with God. It says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then one last passage, of course, uh, is found in, in uh, James. And we would have seen this in our study of the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You see, all of these things, these six things, are really not different things. They're all six ways of saying the same thing. Walk with God, be a friend of God, cleave to God, draw near to God, have fellowship with God, draw nigh to God. My point is, we don't have to be like Jonah. We don't have to run. We don't have to hide. We don't have to disobey. We don't have to rebel. Instead, we have, if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior because of His shed blood on the cross, we can now walk with God. We can be a friend of God, cleave to God, draw near to God, have fellowship with God, draw nigh to Him, and He will draw nigh to us. So with that in mind, let's go back to Jonah. We don't have to be like Jonah. But we're going to see that there are two consequences of trying to run from God. And we're back in Jonah chapter 1. And we're looking at verses 4 through 9. Verse 4 says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, cried every man unto his God, cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, old sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God would think upon us that we perish not. And, he said, and they said, Everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we may know for, who, for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and that lot fell upon Jonah. And then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou, and why, what is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. If you're running from God, the first consequence is, is it'll bring God's judgment. It'll bring God's judgment. Did you notice the way the writer worded the very first part of verse 4? But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. Some of you are people that fish, right? Ever been in a storm on the lake? I'm sure that the wind has come up Occasionally when you're out there on the lake, just kind of lazy out there, all at once the clouds start to form and the wind starts to blow and you say, wait, wait a minute, we're out here in the middle of the lake, How, we need to get back. 
and maybe it gets a little choppy and your boat starts to rock up and down a little bit, let me tell you, I don't think any of any of our experiences here that we've had out on a boat would hold a candle to what it's like when the God of heaven and earth specifically hurls a great wind on the sea of judgment. Can you imagine what this scene must have been like? Why did God do this? Was he being mean? Was he being vindictive? Was he being cruel to one of his children? What's the answer to that? Of course, the answer is no. He was being loving. He was doing exactly what you would expect a loving Heavenly Father to do. Why? Because it wasn't in Jonah's best interest to go that way. It wasn't in his best interest to continue to disobey. So, as hard as Jonah was running, God was faithfully pursuing. That's why Spurgeon referred to God as the hound of heaven. The one who faithfully goes after his children. He seeks to put them in positions where they will love and obey him. So why was God judging Jonah? Why was he judging Jonah? Well, God loved him and did not want him to see, uh, continue in sin. That's the first reason. God loved him, didn't want to see him continue in sin. The second reason is God practices the principle of cause and effect. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, and beginning in verse 15, notice here how God chooses to work with his children. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 says, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days in the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to possess it. I think God is very clear here. It's a clear picture of how God chooses to work with his children. He blesses for obedience and he chastens for disobedience. He blesses for obedience and chastens for disobedience. That's cause and effect. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now someone might say, wait a minute, Pastor. What about Romans 8, where all things work together for good, right? What about that? What about the part in Romans 8 that says there is no condemnation unto those who are in Christ Jesus? What about that? Well, that's a good question. But it's quiz time. Question, true or false? Nothing about my relationship with God is affected by the way I live today. Is that true or false? 
Nothing about my relationship with God is affected by the way I live today. Anybody want to venture? It's a 50% chance of getting it right. Come on. True or false? False. What about the second question? Everything about my relationship with God is affected by the way I live today. True or false? No, you're tricking me. Nope, it's false. You say, wait a minute. How can they both be false? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you cannot lose your salvation. It's done. It's set. If you're truly saved, that's one of the great benefits of knowing Christ. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's what it talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and Ephesians 4, 30. You're located in the hand of Jesus Christ, in the hand of the Father, according to John chapter 10, right? If you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you've been justified, declared righteous. Your stand before God is complete and unalterable. God sees you today clothed in the righteousness of His Son, which is an important part of salvation, by the way. It's not just a matter of having your sins forgiven. It's also a matter of having the righteousness of Christ transferred to your account. Which is why Paul would say in Romans 8, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's part of your relationship with God that is not going to be affected by your behavior today. At least in the sense that you stand to lose that position. And yet, that's not all there is to it. There is your day-to-day relationship with God, your walk with Him, your fellowship with Him, and that is most definitely affected by the way you choose to live. And that's part of your relationship with God that is governed by cause and effect. If you and I choose to disobey and run from Him, we can expect Him to chasten us. Another passage, of course, is Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 4 through 13. God uh, chastens those who he loves, right? That's what that passage is all about. So when we wrap all this together, what do we get? The book of Jonah, along with the many other places in the Bible, makes it very clear that when you and I choose to run from the commands of God, he's going to judge us. You say, what's that have to do with me? I'm getting tired. No, I'm not really getting tired. I'm going to sit in this chair as an illustration. All right? Let's say I'm sitting in this chair. I'm not doing anything. Just sitting here. Now, occasionally I'll say something because I want to keep preaching here, but let's just say I just sit here and I don't say anything. Not say anything, unless for argument's sake, though it's not possible. I'm not even thinking about anything. Is that possible for me to sit here and do nothing and not say anything and not think anything and still be sinning? You say, yes. You see, by not doing what God wants me to do, 
You see, in the Bible, sin is more than something we do or commit. It's doing what God doesn't want me to do. The Bible recognizes a sin of omission, failing to do what God wants me to do. So is it possible that those among you that are here today, that anyone would be running from God? Is that possible? I think it is possible. I hope it's not true, but it's possible. Not because you're actively doing something he doesn't want you to do. Say, I haven't been doing anything wrong. I've been good. I've been nice. I've been you know, kind to my sisters and, and all this, my brothers. I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. I haven't beat my wife. I'm not doing anything that God doesn't want me to do. We may not be actively doing something he doesn't want us to do, but we may passively not be doing something he does want us to do. For example, if you're here and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, or you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's possible, we talked about that earlier today, it's possible that someone in our congregation was not saved. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to repent of your sins. Whether you're a young person or older person, and you've not made that decision, you're running from God. And the terrifying thing is that eventual judgment we're talking about is not just a storm out on the lake or out on the sea. It's not even being swallowed by a great fish. It's not even physical death. We're talking about what the Bible calls the second death, a final eternal separation from God forever. And so my question to you, if you're running, will you stop? Turn to God in repentance and faith? Someone else might be here, and I trust this is the case, that everyone here is saved. But, being saved doesn't mean you're not running from God. Maybe you've got an area in your life that needs some work. You've tried a few times, but it hasn't changed. You know you need to get some help from someone or someplace May you can call it counseling or discipleship or whatever you want to call it, but you need help and you haven't gotten it. Perhaps it's out of pride or perhaps for some other reason. You need to stop running. Whether we're talking about sins of commission or sins of omission, stop running. I think some may have drawn a line in their sand when it comes to the area of growth, growing up in the Lord. You know, we're all supposed to grow in our Christian lives. Some people say, well, I've grown enough. I've been in church all my life and I know about everything there is to know about the Bible. I've grown enough. You never get to that point. Does it make a difference if you're 5 or 50 or 105? If that's the case, if you think, well, I've, I've grown enough and I'm, I hope you have an umbrella because there's a storm coming. And God's, uh, God won't let his children live that way. It's not in our best interest. Some have refused to take a ministry opportunity or a witnessing opportunity. God wants us to go to Nineveh, but like, we like the weather in Tarshish better. Here's a principle. If you're running from God, it will bring his judgment. 
Now, I wish I could say that was the end of the story, but it actually gets worse. There's another consequence from running from God, and that is judgment. The judgment may affect others. Another quiz. True or false? Jonah's sin only affected Jonah. False. Jonah's sin affected Jonah and everybody else around him. What is a terrible thing that happened to these seamen who didn't know the Lord? Look at the progression in the text here. It says there the progression of Jonah's judgment. Verse 4. What about the ship? You see there's a ship. was like to be broken. Whose ship was it? (laughs) Was it Jonah's ship? No. Was it, part of the, was it just the part that Jonah was in that was going to be broken up, where he was sleeping? No. Was it like the cartoons where a little rain cloud follows someone around? Maybe you've seen a cartoon where there's a little rain cloud, just, just rains on this person as they walk around. No, it's not like that at all. That's the first thing you notice there. Secondly, the, in verse 5, the mariners or the sailors were afraid. Here are these rough, tough, seasoned sailors. Their knees were knocking. Their teeth were chattering. They had never experienced anything like this before. And so it says they cried to their pagan gods. What a pitiful sight. They were crying out to idols without ears or hands. They had no possible way of providing salvation they needed. And so they start throwing the cargo overboard. And again, it was, was it Jonah's cargo? Well, maybe he had a bag, but it wasn't just his bag. It was all the stuff that was there. They start throwing it overboard. Now, don't miss this. If you're running from God, the judgment may spill over on people who are running with you. And the point is actually made twice there in verses 7 and 8. I hope you see the wording there. He said, And they said to every one of his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said, Tell us, you know, we may know the cause of this evil that's upon us. That brings us to an entirely different set of reasons for maintaining a close and growing and re- obedient relationship to God. Not only because it will protect you from the chastening hand of God, but also because it will protect others from facing the fallout of your chastening. Someone said, well, pastor, I know that's not happening in my life because if it were happening, I'd feel guilty about it. Really? How do we know that that's not true? Where was Jonah? Was he feeling guilty? No, he was sleeping. He was down in the bottom of the boat having a nice, sound sleep. He was completely oblivious to all uh, how his sinful actions were affecting those around him. Someone said, beware of overplaying the significance of feelings. Ahab felt accelerated uh, when he first claimed Naboth's property until he met Elijah. Saul felt great as he offered sacrifices before the battle until he met Samuel. 
Herod felt quite content taking his brother's wife until he met John the Baptist. See, do not assume that good, pleasant feelings determine whether or not you're in the will of God. You can feel great without being in the will of God. And so the principles, if we take these principles and they apply them to us, well, what about, first of all, children with disobedient parents? How many children are growing up in homes where there is a constant financial pressure and attention as a result of mom or uh, dad disobeying principles of finance? The kids didn't buy the house, did they? Uh, The kids didn't buy the cars, but who's paying for them? It ends up being the whole family gets to, has to pay for them. Or how about parents who are a bad example? How many kids are not faithful to church because their parents won't bring them? You say, well, if they had a car, they'd come to hear the word a lot more often than they do. If they could drive, they'd come. And yet mom and dad don't or won't come. I mentioned this earlier this morning. This might... Uh, be something that some may not want to hear. What about skipping out when there's a Lord's Supper? We said this morning when we talked about that ordinance, it's a command, this do. Or what about when a missionary comes and gives a great and challenging report about a mission field that have changed, could have changed the child's life, but the child wasn't there because mom and dad were making choices that they're making. And Sunday school teachers have lessons prepared and personal, potentially life-changing lessons, but Johnny or Susie are not there because mom and dad didn't bring them. Well, that's not Johnny and Susie's fault, is it? But it is a principle that applies, it affects them. How about failure to use our gifts for the Lord? How many spouses would love more than anything in the world to use their gifts in service for God, but their spouse is so selfish that he or she just complains about any time the subject is raised? How about a bad testimony before co-workers? How many co-workers have people who are working around them who say they're Christians, but they're not living for God? And so that Christian has a poor work ethic and the whole department suffers, or the Christian gossips and everyone has to live in an environment where their things are always stirred up. And worse, that Christian doesn't witness and the person dies, spends an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Don't tell me that Your life doesn't affect others. You see, what kind of positions have we placed people in that are riding in our boat? What about the people riding in our boat? Our friends, our families, our neighbors, our co-workers. Are they more likely to know God? Are they more likely to serve God? Are they more likely to love God? Are they more likely to benefit from the blessings God is showering on your obedience? Or are they being affected by your disobedience? Principle. If you're running from God, it will affect others. Well, I'm not like wicked old Jonah. Well, maybe we need to examine our hearts a little bit there. So what's the other side of this? 
Let me just conclude by asking you to think about a man in the New Testament that was greater than Jonah. What was that man's name? Jesus Christ. Was he greater than Jonah? Jonah was afraid people might harm him. Jesus came to people he knew would harm them, harm him, kill him. Jonah was thrown into a storm of water. Jesus entered the storm of, of God's wrath. Jonah spewed from the belly of the great fish or the whale. Jesus walked out of the belly of death. Jonah was supposed to love God's enemies, where Jesus actually loved God's enemies. Going to be like Jonah or like Jesus? What about Peter? Peter was used of God. He was an unpredictable, tempestuous man, became a stone of stability in Christ, establishing the institution of the church. I don't say rock because Jesus is the rock. Peter was just a stone. You look at it very carefully, you'll find that. But Peter was someone who was usually was greatly used of in the work of God. How about Mary Magdalene? She was just a simple woman. A woman of the streets, but she became a godly woman, and she worshipped the Lord. What about the thief on the cross? At one time, cursing and blaspheming, mocking, and then he became a believer. You see, every one of these persons went from being under the judgment of God and enjoying the blessing of God because of the impact and the obedient, submissive Savior who looked at the assignment given to him by the Father and said, not my will, but thy will be done. So, I'm asking you to, this afternoon, will you be like Jesus or be like Jonah? If you're running from God, it'll bring judgment. If you're running from God, the judgment will affect others. Just as simple as that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, so often we think we're doing okay. We're not doing anything to hurt anybody. At least we think we're not. We think we're living our lives like we should not, and minding our own business. But Lord, we're not minding the business that you've given to us. We're not obedient to your word. We're not being faithful. In a sense, we are running from you. We need to realize it will bring your judgment. And that judgment is going to affect those around us as well. Lord, impress upon our hearts the importance of this truth this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just take a songbook and turn to number 390, sing one verse of I Surrender All. 390. We'll sing one verse. Unless someone wants to come and do business with God, we'll, we'll sing more. But uh, let's stand and sing. 390.